<clears throat> Let's look in Psalm 146. Psalm 146. We'll begin reading verse 1. I'd like to read the whole psalm. There's 10 verses. The title of the message is A Hungry Satisfied. Psalm 146 and uh, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While, while I live, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his, the, his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which, hath ma uh, which made heaven and earth, uh, the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever, which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry, the Lord looseth the prisoners. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind, the Lord raises them that are bowed down, the Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers, he relieveth the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. The Lord shall reign forever, even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations, praise ye the Lord. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful to be here together this morning. I pray that you might send thy Holy Spirit upon this place, uh, they might touch and speak to each heart here today. And Lord, we come in uh, with all kinds of issues and difficulties that we've had to face this life, this past week in life. And uh, Lord, we've come to you uh, to worship and praise you, Lord, and allow the Spirit of God to minister the grace of God to our hearts. And so, Lord, I prayed you'd speak to us in a special way today. If there's someone here that's not saved, uh, may the impression and conviction of the Holy Spirit come upon them, Lord, uh, that where they be overwhelmed uh, with a longing and a desire to come into the grace of God and be gloriously saved. I pray for every believer that we might be strengthened in our walk with you, Lord. We might understand uh, that you are the one that feeds the hungry soul. And uh, God, we find our satisfaction in you and you alone. And so, God, speak to our hearts this morning in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text verse is verse 7. says, uh, yeah, verse 7 says, um, uh, Which executeth judgment for the oppressed, and giveth food to the hungry, the Lord looseth the prisoners. And so our phrase right in the middle of that verse, which giveth food to the hungry, the hungry satisfied. As you read through this psalm, Psalm 146, it's a great psalm because as you're reading, you kind of get the sense of the emotion of the writer of the psalm. He's, he's praising God. There's much joy that he is expressing in the psalm. Uh, he uh, records for us that where we find hope is in our God. And so really, in a personal way, as you read the psalm, you get connected very quickly with the emotion of the writer of the psalm. True happiness is based on our relationship with the true God. That's why verse 5 he states, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And so real happiness and real joy and comfort comes from our personal relationship with our God. The psalmist speaks of many wonderful things and many wonderful works that God does for his children. 
And there's only 10 verses, but it is packed full of things that God does for us and how he blesses us and assures us of great hope. But I just want to think about one of them this morning, and that is that oh, he giveth food to the hungry. So the hungry satisfied. True uh, spiritual hunger develops a yearning for a greater fellowship with God. And uh, David understood what it was to desire and long and, uh, and, and be able to experience a real presence of God in uh, Psalm 42 and 1. He says, as the heart panteth for the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. And so David longed and he hungered and desired to be uh, quenched with uh, the presence of God in his life. The hungry is satisfied. They say when there's droughts in Africa that the deer literally defy the lions to go drink at the river. It's just interesting uh, to watch, uh, like watching nature, nature things and all that. But it's just, it's amazing when the droughts, you see all, the, all these different animals uh, overcoming the thirst that they have by rejecting the fear in the heart against the other animals that are predators because they're all there for the same thing, to get water. They're thirsting for water. Well, we have a hungry heart. We have a thirsting soul for God. Uh, we can overcome our fears in life as we go after the God of heaven and allow him to feed us and to satisfy us with his presence. They say that there's six kinds of hunger uh, that human beings have. Six kinds of hunger. First of all, there's a hunger for food and raiment. I can identify with that, hunger for food, amen? But anyway, uh, you say, well, hunger for food and raiment. Hunger for food and raiment produces harvest. Man will create an opportunity to have a harvest by planting fruits and vegetables or whatever because he wants to satisfy his hunger. Uh, tools are invented. Industrial activities are accomplished all for that one purpose of satisfying a desire for food and for raiment. We want to be clothed. We want to be comfortable. We want to be cool in the summer. We want to be warm in the winter. We want to be able to satisfy the hunger pains in our stomach. And so food and raiment is one of the six kinds of hunger that man has. Also, there's a hunger for knowledge. You say, how, how do you know there's a hunger for knowledge? Because we produce schools, we write books, we write literature, and it's all designed for one purpose, and that's to, to satisfy the longing and desire of man to gain knowledge, to get information, and to be aware of the world in which he lives. There's a hunger for fame. We see that all the time because that produces uh, office and ranking, uh, spheres of influence, political gain, whatever it may be, entertainment. Uh, uh, people just want to be famous, and so they hunger for that fame. And so you have all this aspect of society develops just to be able to satisfy that one hunger, the hunger for fame. And then, of course, there's a hunger for beauty. Um, and that creates the fine arts. Uh, you know, that's why we have a multi-billion dollar business in cosmetics in America. There's a hunger and a longing for beauty. And, uh, you know, Dr. Malone used to say, if the barn needs painting, paint it, you know. But, <laughs> but the cosmetic industry and all this is geared up to satisfy the hunger for beauty. And so we long for beauty. And then for affection. 
There's a hunger for affection. Uh, that's why we have homes and we have fireside songs and acts of service and poetry and all this. Why? Because we are very affectionate people and we long for that to be satisfied. Uh, we just had Valentine's Day and my goodness, uh, the amount of money that people spend on Valentine's Day is for one reason, to satisfy the hunger and longing affectionately. I want somebody to tell me they love me and care for me. And so it's, it's generated a whole industry in America just because of satisfying the hungers of man. And then they say the final hunger is this, a hunger for God. And man is, it has all these appetites in his life that he's trying to fulfill and satisfy. The reality, the root problem is, is there is a void, there's an emptiness in him because there's no presence of God in his life. And when the yearning, listen, the yearning is, uh, for God uh, is being fulfilled in our life, everything else in life starts to come into perspective. Everything else starts to be satisfied. But uh, when we live our life apart from God, then all these other appetites will never be satisfied. And we'll always be pursuing more and more and more and more. What was it Rockefeller? It was asked years ago. They asked him how much is enough is reference to money. And he said, just a little bit more. And uh, that's the way we live our life. Man's appetites just drives him because he's constantly wanting just a little bit more. He wants it just a little bit better. And it's just insatiable appetites that are never satisfied. But you see all these areas in human society that develop for that specific reason just to satisfy the appetites of man, the hunger of man. But David says in our psalm, the wait a minute, it is God, it is God who giveth food to the hungry. And so if I'm going to be able to keep everything in perspective on satisfying the desires that I have in my life, I'm going to have to start with my relationship with God. First of all, let's think of this, the hungry satisfied. There's a gracious promise given in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6 and 7 are all the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught. And in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, he says, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know, the world's hungering for everything else, and they try to pursue it and try to get it, but they're never satisfied. And Jesus said this, You're blessed if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, because the gracious promise that God has made is that he will satisfy that hunger. He will satisfy that thirst. And so there's a gracious promise given to us in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's consider looking to Jesus as the example for us to follow. And if he's the one that's going to satisfy us, and he's promised he would do that, then we need to look to Christ as an example. All right, that's just weird how that back, thing's showing up back there anyway. I'm thinking, man, my thing's halfway off the screen, but it's all right there. All right, I'm just going to preach. Don't worry about it. Notice, first of all, I'm thinking of Jesus, and uh, he rose up early in John chapter 8, in uh, verse 1 and 2. It says, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And I thought of this as far as the promise of God to give us a satisfaction in hunger and in thirsting after righteousness, 
it does require us to, to pursue it early in our life. Uh, I think it's important for us to have our children in Sunday school, our grandchildren in Sunday school. Uh, we need to have them in our, our Wednesday night programs and things like that. We need to personally get up early in the morning to be alone with God. If we have a hunger and we have a thirst for the righteousness of God, God has promised that he would meet with us and he would satisfy that desire and that longing. But it may require, as Jesus gave us an example, this matter of rising up early and pursuing God early. In uh, Psalm 63, in uh, verse 1, the psalmist carries along with this idea of rising up early. And uh, some people say, oh, you're just a morning person. Well, I'm glad that Jesus was a morning person, amen. He got up early in the morning, and he met with his Father in heaven, and he taught the people uh, throughout the day. In Psalm 63 and 1, says, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. And so this matter of pursuing after God early in our life, pursuing after God early in the day uh, because of the th fact that we're hungering for him. You know, if you're hungry at lunchtime or you're hungry for breakfast, you're going to get up and go get some food and eat. Well, if we're hunger for righteousness, God has promised that he would satisfy us if we would seek him early and he would speak to us and help us to grow in our walk with him. So looking to Jesus as an example, he rose up early, but also he had a oneness with his father. In John chapter 17, in verse 21, and Jesus said this, and they may all be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. And so the example of Christ is he was completely in perfect harmony with his Father in heaven. And see, righteousness of God, a desire for us to hunger and thirst after righteousness, will, come, will be satisfied as we are walking and living our life in perfect harmony with our Father in heaven. And uh, you can't be constantly in, in argument against the Word of God. You can't be constantly debating with God and rejecting God's will in your life and be able to say, oh, I'm satisfied as a Christian. You'll never be satisfied unless you get in agreement with the Father in heaven. Why? Can two walk together except they be agreed? And so the satisfaction of a man's soul is seen when he fellowships with his Lord. So he rose up early to meet with his God, Father. He has perfect harmony with his Father. And then he was always about his Father's work and his Father's will. In uh, Matthew, over Matthew chapter 6, you know, Jesus always performed the will of his Father in heaven. And in Matthew chapter 6 and verse uh, 10, Matthew 6, 10, says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So hungering and thirsting after righteousness is always surrendering to the reality that the will of God must be accomplished, not just in heaven, but yes, right here on this earth. And he always, every aspect of the life of Christ, you see him fulfilling the will of the Father in heaven. In Matthew, 
in uh, chapter 20, uh, 26 in verse 42, uh, we once again re read of Jesus being willing to surrender to his Father's will as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane in that Matthew 26, 42, and he went away the second time and prayed saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup may pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And so when we talk about the hungry being satisfied, it does uh, enable us to experience that through following the example of Christ, uh, being committed to the will and the work of God completely in perfect harmony with the Father in heaven and then early pursuing him and experiencing and moving a touch of God in our life. And God will satisfy the emptiness in a man's soul. So we can look to Jesus as fulfilling this gracious promise to feed the hungry or to have the hungry satisfied. We can learn from the example of those desiring worldly gain. Oftentimes, I think we forget that, wait a minute, now every word that's in the Bible and every example that God gives us is there for our admonition, is there to teach us. And the rich man desired more in John, not John, Luke, in Luke chapter 12, in verse 16, we know the story of the rich man who had great wealth, he had great barns that were full and uh, he tore down his barns, it says in Luke 12, 16, and he spake a parable in them saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plenty. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do because I have no room to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? So the rich man's desire to have more, what was the outcome? Just simply was not satisfied. And uh, we can pursue the things of this world thinking that if I can get more, if I can experience more, if I can have more, then, then I'm going to be happy in life. And the bottom line is you're never satisfied. You're never satisfied. So we can look to the example of Christ, how he was satisfied in fulfilling the righteousness of his Father in heaven. But we can learn from those that are in the world and see how they're dissatisfied even though they have wealth and they have prestige and they have involvement and commitment, they still are not satisfied with the things that we have. So the rich man desired more. We can see in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16, the young rich man desired more. In uh, Matthew uh, chapter uh, 19 in verse 16, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and as he comes in verse 23, I'm sorry, verse, uh, where am I? Sorry, verse uh, 16. said, Behold, one came unto him a good, saying, uh, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I might have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. But he, if thou wilt enter into life, um, I will enter into life, keep the commandments. 
And he saith unto him, Which? And Jesus saying, Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up, uh, and uh, what lack I yet? Now, the interesting thing is, is Jesus deals with the Ten Commandments, the power that deals with man's relationship with man. This felt young fellow may have considered in his heart and his life that he had a right relationship as far as man with man, but he was not right with God. And Jesus tells him, and uh, in verse 21, Jesus said to him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to go into the kingdom of God. What is he saying this? Rich young ruler desired more only to be not satisfied. He just was not satisfied. What kind of, will I need in order to be saved? What do I need in order to have eternal life? What do I have to do? I've done all these things. What do I need to do? All right, just surrender completely and follow me. Oh, I can't do that. We're not satisfied with Christ. We're not satisfied with the answer that Christ gave. And we wonder why we're not satisfied in life. And I think of the athlete. Paul talks about the athlete as a constant longing to do more. And uh, it's always amazing to me that I remember when I was in the Marine Corps. That certainly isn't present. Uh, we used to run, I don't know, two, three miles, four miles, five miles. I don't know. No matter how long, how far we ran, it was always let's run farther. And uh, we used to work out with weights and, and work out with weights. And you know, no matter how much you could lift, it was always, I want to do a little bit more. Never satisfied. And Paul deals with that in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, 25. Every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And so he deals with this concept that the athlete is constantly competing, constantly wanting to do more, wanting to accomplish more recognition and to be able to push himself beyond only to end up not satisfied. That's the problem. And all these things that we might be able to accomplish in the world never satisfy us. And so we can look to the Christ as the example who lived a perfect, perfect life of of satisfaction with his Father in heaven on this earth. Also, we can learn from the examples of those who have worldly desires that could not be satisfied and realize this, that you live your life seeking and hungering and growing in your relationship with God, and that's where there's satisfaction. Because that's when the Lord steps in and he gives food to the hungry. And so if we'll hunger and thirst after righteousness, God has made a great promise to us, a very gracious promise to us, is that he would satisfy that longing. And a man cannot be satisfied in living his life apart from God. So there's a gracious promise. I see there's a great uh, preventative. In other words, how can I prevent being dissatisfied in this world? In John chapter 6, 
Now, we know John 6 deals with the feeding of the 5,000, but Jesus makes a great statement in John chapter 6 and verse 35, giving us a great preventative of how to be, stop ourselves from constantly being dissatisfied with life, constantly being dissatisfied with who we are and where we are. And that perspective in John chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life that cometh, he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So the great preventative of being totally dissatisfaction in life is recognizing we need a daily supply, a daily supply. Jesus said he was the bread that came down. He's using the analogy in the picture of Israel being in the wilderness. And as they were in the wilderness, God supplied for their daily need. In verse 32 of John chapter 6, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And he's reminding them that every day Israel had to pick up that manna from heaven to be satisfied and to be able to meet their needs of hunger in the wilderness. And he's just drawing the picture of this, that Jesus himself is the bread that came down from heaven. And we need a daily supply from him each and every day. We need to have a personal relationship with him every day. And when you stray away from meeting with God and feasting as it were on the word of God and enjoying the presence of Christ in your life, life each and every day, it will not take you long to be dissatisfied as a Christian. I watch all the time people start slipping out of church. They're not in church. You sit down and talk to them and say, hey, man, what's going on? You're not in church. What, you know, and you talk to them, and then, oh, you know, everything's okay. Well, I'm just doing this. And I, then I follow up, and I say, okay, well, how's your devotional life? How are how you making out reading your Bible? Oh, well, I, I haven't read it in a while. Oh, okay, so you're abandoning the daily supply of God's word in your life and you're not feasting on the manna from heaven who's Jesus Christ and you're wondering why you are become dissatisfied with being a Christian and being in church. We must have a daily supply that comes from God. Why? Because it is the great preventative that help me not to become dissatisfied with who I am in Christ. I need to walk with God each and every day. That develops a dependence. You need to depend completely on Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Complete dependence upon Christ. If Jesus doesn't get me through the day, I'm not going to make it. That's how we ought to live. And, uh, and if we will, we'll be satisfied with the things and the situations that we're confronted with in life. The Israelites, think of this were dissatisfied when they were in the wilderness when they kept looking back to Egypt. They said, oh, we remember when we were in Egypt, oh, man, we had onions and leeks to eat. Oh, man, I can't wait to sit down to the table. Onions and leeks to eat. All right, that, that already stirs up. Not only will it not satisfy your hungering, but you'll have a problem with relationships because of your breath, amen? <laughs> 
But anyway, Israel was dissatisfied with what God, God had them on a journey to go to the promised land, a land that flowed with milk and honey. And they're just dissatisfied with what God's doing because they keep looking back to Egypt, thinking it's better in Egypt, when nothing, listen, nothing satisfied them in Egypt. They were in bondage. They were in slavery. They were tortured. They were tormented. They suffered. They only could eat what the, the pharaohs would allow them to eat. They could only do what the pharaohs would allow them to do. They lived a life of servitude to only to die in, the, in, in Egypt away from their homeland. And now God's directing them to the promised land. And they're like, we're not satisfied. Well, aren't you satisfied? Oh, well, we remember back in Egypt. See, they weren't dependent completely on their God in directing and feeding them when God was miraculously giving, giving them water and food to eat, taking them to the promised land. The Christian is always dissatisfied when he looks back. When you start looking back what your life was without Christ, you'll never be satisfied as a Christian. When you start, you get on Facebook and you start looking up your old friends from back when you were in high school, that in reality you weren't that close as a friend to begin with. That's why you haven't talked to them for the last 30 years. And you start looking them up on Facebook and they start talking to you about all the stuff you used to do when you were unsaved and all the stuff they're doing as an unsaved person. And boy, was it that great times. And then you start thinking it's better without Jesus. And the reality is God wants us to depend on him because we find our satisfaction in him. Why? Because he is our sufficiency. And so a great preventative is I need God to take care of me every day. And I depend on God every day. And then I delight in his presence. In other words, I enjoy the Lord's presence in my life. Hey, let me ask you, how much did you enjoy your time in prayer and alone, being alone with God this morning? How much time did you spend with God this morning before coming to church? Your spiritual experience on Sunday is not coming to church. Spiritual experience on Sunday is your time alone with God in the morning that prepares you for the experience when you come to church. But we're not satisfied with the presence of God. In Psalm 40, in verse 8, says, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. And he, the psalmist recognizes the powerful influence of God's presence in his life. In uh, Psalm 119 and verse 35 says, Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. How much do you delight in the presence of God? Do you enjoy the fact that God is with you and he is the one who feeds your soul? 
So the great preventive of my, in my life to be dissatisfied is, wait a minute, I'm going to be satisfied with my God. I'm going to rejoice and enjoy my relationship with my God, and I'm dependent upon him every day. Daily he meets my needs and satisfies my soul because he has given me a gracious promise that if I'll hunger and I'll thirst after righteousness, he'll satisfy me, he'll feed me, and so I'm going to prevent myself with being dissatisfied in life because I'm going to delight in my God. The hungry are satisfied. So there's a gracious promise. There's a great preventative. But there's a glorious provision. In Revelation chapter 7, Revelation 7 in verse 16 and 17, we see the provision, I'm sorry, the provision of God promising us what it's going to be like when we get in the glory. And uh, uh, Psalm, oh, where am I at here? I'm looking at 15 different verses at one time. Get these trifocals off. I don't need one. Uh, Revelation chapter 7, verse 16. says, And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. And here's why. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them and shall lead them into living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. The glorious provision is this, that God has provided us a complete salvation. And that salvation, there's not anything else that needs to be done in order for us to be saved. And out soul winning yesterday, talking with people about the Lord, and people have no hope. They don't know where they're going to spend eternity. The sad thing is, is many of them don't even care about where they're going to spend eternity because they, they're so ignorant of the reality that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And thank God that God has given us a complete salvation. We're secure in Jesus Christ. It's a wonder, wondrous redemption that God has given us, that he has redeemed us because of his redemption. He has forgiven us. We do not stand guilty before God, and so there's a wondrous redemption that is experienced when we trust Christ as our Savior. That's the next point there. Amen. Praise the Lord. And, oh, and it's a wondrous redemption because it's God's grace that is extended to us. It is the mercy of God experienced in us that enables us to be washed and cleansed and forgiven of all of our sins so we don't have to stand guilty before the Lord. People, much of people's problems today is they're living lifestyles that are immoral and they're living a life that is full of guilt. And they wonder why they can't get satisfied in life. It's because their lifestyle themselves is condemning them and filling them with all this guilt. But when you come to Christ, the wondrous redemption of God is he removes all the guilt. I no longer stay in, under the judgment of God because I've entered into the grace of God. So it's a complete salvation and wondrous redemption, and it's an eternal habitation. In other words, uh, there's a place where you're going to go, and you're going to be for all eternity. I love First, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 5 and 1. says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. One day this body is going to decay. It's going to go back to the dust from whence it came. But I'm going to tell you one day 
this body's going to be resurrected and reunited my, my soul and uh, in heaven where our eternal habitation is. There's a story, Robert uh, Robinson, uh, years ago when old George Whitfield was preaching, great revivals in, in America through George Whitfield, Robert uh, Robinson went to scoff and to make fun of George Whitfield's preaching one night in one of the meetings that George Whitfield was preaching at. Instead of mocking him and scoffing at his preaching, when he got there, Robert Robinson got under great conviction. And under the conviction of God, he got saved at the meeting. You know, scoffers, let the scoffers come. They get under the power of the Holy Spirit, they'll get convicted, they'll get saved. Amen? Several years later, Robinson felt he was called to preach and became quite a theologian. At the age of 23, now realize this, when we talk about theologians, we're not talking about old men when we talk about years going by. We're talking about 20 years olds. We would call them the millennials today. We're the great theologians in that day. At 23 years old, he wrote a great hymn. It's called Come Thou Found. We sing it all the time. It stirs our heart and faith. He wrote, Come Thou Fount. The problem was, years later, he strayed from his God. And he tried to find relief by traveling, traveling around the world. In one part of the world, he met a young lady who was interested in poetry. And she sat down with him and questioned him about a hymn she had just been reading called, Come Thou Fount. And she got, under the, got to the last verse, and it says, O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wondering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And Robert Robinson got under great conviction again by the poem that he had written, testifying of the great grace of God, you can't run away from God. You can try to run all around the world, but God will bring somebody in touch with you and confront you and move you to getting right with him. I'm glad there's a glorious provision that God has given us, and that is that the hungry will be satisfied. Here's some closing thoughts. If you're hungry, you'll eat. Amen? Amen. I remember oh, we have to, uh, you had a farm, grew up on a farm, and uh, we'd get those calves, and you want to wean them off of their mothers because you don't want, you know, we want to sell the milk, so we'd wean them off, and we'd make uh, buck mix up this milk mixture uh, to feed the calves, and they'd start to drink it. They wouldn't drink it. They would fight against it. They wouldn't. I remember, I remember a grandfather. I said he won't, he won't drink. Pop up, he won't drink. He said, don't worry, if he gets hungry, he'll drink. And I found this over the years. I don't worry about animals eating. They get hungry enough, they're going to eat. I don't have to worry about people eating. You get hungry enough, you're going to eat. But when it comes to spiritual things, God has promised that he would satisfy the hungry. So how hungry are you? The reality is if you get hungry enough, you'll eat. If you eat, you'll be nourished. People say, well, I, don't, I just don't feel very strong in the Lord. Well, how hungry are you for the Lord? 
Because if you're hungry enough for God, you're going to eat. You're going to feed on his word. You're going to enjoy his presence. And your feeding on his word and enjoying his presence will nourish your soul. And if you're nourished, you'll be strong. It's that simple. It's not a complicated process, folks. The Lord has promised he would satisfy the hungry. If I'm hungry, I'm going to eat. And if I'm going to eat, I'm going to be nourished. And if I'm nourished, then I'm going to be strong. And if I'm strong, I'm not going to fall. You won't fall if you're strong. You'll be able to stand when the wiles of the devil comes, when the tragedies come into your life, when the difficulties overwhelm you. It will not knock you down because you're strong enough to stand in the Lord because you're satisfied with him. And if you do not fall, you will be in sweet communion and fellowship with God. You say, how do you know that? Because he has promised he would satisfy the hungry. It all starts with how hungry are you? I'm going to tell you, if somebody's hungry to excel in sports, uh, they dedicate their whole life to it. And I found this, that if a Christian, a person who believes in Christ is hungry for God, I'm going to tell you, God will satisfy your soul and God will meet your needs and God will fellowship with you and God will stir your heart with such joy and excitement and assurance that, that you, there's nobody can rob you of that. Nobody can take that away from you because of the presence of God. He said he would feed those that are hungry, which giveth food to the hungry, the hungry satisfied. Let's bow for prayer. So we're closing in prayer. How hungry are you for God? How hungry are you for the things that are spiritual? My Father, I come to you. I thank you so much for your love this morning. I'm thankful for the grace of God. I'm thankful that you promised that you would give food to the one who is hungry. I'm thankful that you said that if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, that we'd be satisfied. God, help us not to be consumed with the things that are in this world and seeking ways to satisfy us in life. But may Jesus be enough for us. May Jesus be the one who is really the restorer of joy and contentment in our life. And Lord, I just pray that you would... Uh, Enable us to feast on the reality of the presence of God. Lord, if there's someone here who's not saved, I pray you'd touch them, Lord. You'd draw them to yourself. As we give this invitation, I pray, Lord, they would come and we could show them how to be saved. Help each believer this morning, Lord, to turn completely to you. Whatever has caught our attention, whatever has drawn us away from being surrendered to you, God, uh, help us to hunger and thirst for you again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.